Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Blitz. Today we're putting big screen and small screen together. And I can't believe that we haven't even done this before. But that's, Why didn't we think of this before? I know Dave and I were saying the same thing as we were talking about this idea here in the lead up to today's podcast episode. How have we not talked about this at all to this point? But that brings us to today's episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. So welcome to the show. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm the other guy. What's his face? Hi, Dave. We're sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport, the Bemidji Theater. $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. You can come on out and check out a movie for a really, really great price on Tuesday evenings. Of course, they've got a great concession stand there as well, and it's a great place to catch what is in theaters. Of course, our most recent episode of the podcast, we gave you ideas and an outline, a roadmap of what's going to be coming to the big screen uh, the rest of 2022. So make sure you make your plans and uh, come on out to the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Speaking of which, the uh, first trailer for The Fableman, Spielberg's new one, we talked about in that last episode, just came out. That looks good, and apparently it's got a couple early screenings, and it's getting glowing reviews. Worth checking out, The Fablemans. That's all the encouragement you needed, right? Well, it's Spielberg. I mean, what more? Here's Spielberg. Here's the trailer of him reading from the phone book. I'm in. Spielberg will find a way to make it good. Reading from the phone book, even. That, it's about as boring an example as you could imagine, but somehow he would find a way to spin a yarn about Anderson in the phone book. Well, I'm looking forward to somebody creating some kind of uh, teaser of some sort, that or teaser trailer of some sort, that's going to uh, have that. For which As, one? Uh, the phone book? Yeah, the phone book reading, where somebody will have that in the, in their teaser trailer, and they'll find a way to be able to make some kind of story out of that. I like when you get a teaser just to take a brief sprint down the rabbit hole when the trailer footage has nothing, no footage of the movie. Terminator 2 did that. Uh, a few have done that, where there's it's just spilled, everything is specific for the teaser. And I like that. That's creative. It gives nothing away, but it absolutely makes you want to watch the movie. So that would be kind of fun if somebody said, I'll bet you the movie that we're actually filming will be much better than this. Yeah. But in the meantime, let's have Mr. Steven Spielberg read from the phone book. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something that Hitchcock would have done <laughs> as like a teaser before one of his movies. I mean, he, he kind of did that to some extent with some of those teasers as time went. But anyway, um, anything current events-wise, Dave, that's coming to mind for you? Sort of. Um there's kind of a feel-good story that's kind of in the meme circuit, actually, right now, and that's Brendan Fraser. Now, ben, Brendan Fraser, you're familiar with where I'm going with this? A little bit, yeah. He was an actor on the rise through the 90s. He kind of got a little notice in a movie called School Ties, and then he started having some other things. And even if the movie wasn't great, Encino Man, he did a great job enthusiastically being part of a very interesting character. The Mummy movies is probably where he got the biggest. He was in that Crash movie. 
But then there was a turn, and his career just kind of evaporated. And it wasn't because he wasn't easy to work with or there was a drug problem or anything, but as Brendan Fraser has told it, and he and Keanu Reeves apparently are kind of two guys cut from the same cloth. They're super nice, and they're just, they get along with everybody, and they're just super friendly. And, um, you know, so what happened to Brendan Fraser? According to a lot of sources, and even he has backed this up, but nobody wants to speak totally, totally directly. He basically got propositioned by somebody in Hollywood that was powerful. He turned him down, and as retribution there went his career, according to the stories. Wow. So, which is really unfortunate. That's that's a common tale, I hate to say. You know, the whole you know Harvey Weinstein thing. And if you don't want to play ball with me, so to speak, then go, there goes your career. And that happened. Um, so now he's in this new movie called The Whale. And I hear the, the movie itself is kind of eh, but his performance is wow. And it's being screened at some of the earliest locations like Cannes and so forth. And there's six-minute standing ovations. And here's this guy, one of the nicest guys, just wants to work. And he's just he's coming to tears with this whole auditorium standing and applauding not just the movie but his performance in it, uh, and that's awesome. I like Brendan Fraser. I don't like every movie he's been in, but every character he does. Uh, I love the show Scrubs, and he had a memorable role on that show. Just yeah. one episode that was yep. one that you will never forget. It was wonderful. I'm a big Brendan Fraser fan, and I love to see a feel-good story where somebody that is good and has deserved it and earned it and is not a twit to work with is finally getting a comeback. That's good. I think you and I did an episode back in the day talking a little bit about people who we would like to see more of or combinations of actors that we would like to see more of on the screen. And I don't know if I can recall this totally, but I think you might have brought Brendan Fraser's name up. I mean, this is going way back in time, and I I can't look this up right on the spot now, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure you brought up his name when we did that episode there previously, and for good reason, because, again, you've, you've really enjoyed a lot of his work. I've seen him in a few things and just kind of thought, all right, it, it's the guy from The Mummy. But I had seen him in Scrubs, like you talked about, yeah, and, and I've seen him just here and there. He's popped, he's popped up in a few, a few more advent, like adventure-type movies seem to be where he often will land, is, is where I've seen, yeah. seen a few of them, whether it's like Journey to the Center of the Earth, which was not all that long ago, but like that was a little bit more of a family-friendly option that, that he was in and had been in more recently, so... Good to see him getting back into a bigger project, or at least a project with a little bit more notice. He's a guy that is is a good guy, for one. And for me, that counts. That really counts. There's, you know, as an old saying, not just in Hollywood, but pretty much any industry, whether you're flipping burgers or you're making movies, you know, you might be very skilled and very talented but the, and, and a twit. But the next guy in line is just as skilled as you, and he's got a smile on his face, and he's easy to get along with. And that's Keanu Reeves. That's Brendan Fraser. That's, unfortunately, the list of, that's Sandra Bullock. Everyone, you know, she was voted in high school as the most likely to brighten your day. You know, those people that they're good people, and they just, they're good at what they do, and they're friendly as hell. And yeah, they're going to come to school one day and bring a whole thing of donuts for everybody, just because, you know, that's awesome. And that's Brendan Fraser, and if the if the rumors about what happened with his career demise are true, then that's really unfortunate because somebody got spiteful for stupid reasons. And so to finally come out the other end and stand taller, awesome. I hope good things come for him. I really, really do. He's good. 
He's got a small role in Crash as Sandra Bullock's husband. That's kind of an all-star cast movie. Yeah. Not a huge role, but you know, decent. And he does very good drama, does good comedy. Um, good guy. Happy to hear it. Good. Very good. So anything else going on uh, in current events that really is sticking out to you? I I don't have too much. I think it I think it's perfect that we are talking about a television and movies kind of episode today, yeah. the day after the Emmy Awards were given out. It's just I I wasn't necessarily thinking along those lines, but then when the Emmys just took place last night and I was thinking to myself, hey, we're recording the podcast tomorrow and it'll be about TV and movies combining together and or playing off of each other. So this is just perfect. You know, one thing I will mention, you know, Rick and Nick talk flicks implies the big screen, but since we are talking small screen, uh, I'm a big Star Trek fan, big, big fan. Well, they're doing a lot of newer Star Trek shows that they're not on TV TV, but they're on the Paramount Plus streaming platform. It used to be CBS All Access and whatever they're calling it this week, it's all streaming. I've not loved a lot of the new stuff. Uh, and they're really making a lot of them fast. Star Trek Discovery, Picard, a couple of animated series. The They're dark. They're bleak. They're gritty. They're complex. I mean, they make Star Trek Deep Space Nine look optimistic, and that was a grittier show. But it was a good, gritty show. But the newest show, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which takes place on the Enterprise with Captain Pike before Kirk came aboard. And there was a tie-in with that to the second season of Star Trek Discovery. And Captain Pike briefly took over the Discovery. And then this show kind of spun off of that. But the pitch, I understand, for doing this show is, let's just do Star Trek. Regular Star Trek. Not, it's Star Trek, but they're stranded on the other side of the galaxy. Or it's they're on a space station. Or let's just make it a Star Trek show, but it will make it suck. You know, and bleak and dark, which is totally against what Gene Roddenberry wanted. Let's just do Star Trek. You know, this is on the Enterprise with Pike before Kirk got there. Spock is there. Uh, number one, who originally was played by Magil. It's a great show. I really am liking it. It's only about 10 episodes, and I'm about a little over halfway through it, and I'm loving it, and I wish more Star Trek would take cues from, you know, the original. Star Trek simplified is what it sounds it's like. It's just Star Trek. You know, give me orange juice. I don't need orange juice with all the funny business and some other nectar poured in to give. No, just squeeze an orange. Pour that into a glass and give it to me. That's what I want. And this is good. It's, you know, Patrick Stewart one time, who plays Captain Picard in The Next Generation and so forth, he said at one time in an interview that really kind of, I think, capsulated it for me. Um, There are days that are bad in your life. And one day he was at a convention and he was talking, a cop came up to him who was a Star Trek fan and said, look, I mean, doing my job, it's tough days. Some days you get some horrible things and you come back and you're just a shell of yourself and I will put on Star Trek, whichever version of it it is. And it's always a message of it will be better. It's upbeat. It's, it's you know, this is this may not be great now, but we're going to get there. We're going to work together. And it always gives me a little glimpse of hope for humanity to pick itself back up and move forward, and it makes this yeah. day, doesn't fix it, but it definitely gives me a toe up. And that's something that has generally been universal in Star Trek, that just kind of this new stuff, people want to call it Star Trek, and it just kind of isn't. And I hate to say it, but even the Picard show is kind of eh. And it's not bad, but it's not great. It's not living up to the bar that's been set. But this Strange New World show, I highly recommend it. It's really, really good. Well, a lot of 
what made Star Trek really good. And, and I look especially at the next generation with this. What made those early shows exceptionally good was the character element behind them. And oh, yeah. the, the themes. The themes that were able to permeate through those episodes and those shows were exceptionally good. And you put it in a setting like space and it can be easy to go back through those episodes to comb through and to go, where's the episode where the action takes place? Where's the episode where they've got a standoff with the Klingons or where they have a standoff with some kind of alien race? But even in those episodes, the conflict ones, there's there's some kind of, of theme that is really working through those at the same time. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. It's, uh, and I don't want to say too much about Star Trek because I might have more to say about Star Trek later in this episode. But uh, I'm a big, big fan. I think I first saw Star Trek anything when I was about six years old. I've been a big fan immediately and have always been. I'm slightly more of a Trekkie than I am of a Warzy, if you want to put it that way. But I love them both almost equally. Star Wars was the first oh, yeah. movie I ever saw ever when the first original movie came out. It was nine months old when it came out. I've uh, been a huge fan. I know how to make the lightsaber sound because my broom handle didn't have a sound effect generator in it like they do nowadays. You wanted to have something do whatever, you needed to use your imagination or learn yeah. how to make the sound. Everything is so easy these days, but uh, I love Star Trek. It's just a big, big fan, and I like that new show. And uh, hopefully that's where things will trend a little more, less bleak, less dark, less gritty. And you know, let's just go and explore and have some fun with the universe and keep the what Star Trek truly is, intact. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. So, television and movies. The, these two things can, can still remain very interchangeable today. And in a lot of different ways, not just with content, but also with taking inspiration from, from each other. Um, let's, go, let's go all the way back into the 1900s and throughout the course of the, the 20th century. You're going deep. Yeah, I'm, I am, to start at least, because movies came along first. Movies, and in terms of moving pictures, movies were what came first. And they were first by several decades before television started to, to really take off. And television programming that went beyond just news programming. I mean, you get into, you get into the 40s, the 50s. The, the transition was really on from radio and radio programs to television programs. I think especially once the 50s came around, there were a lot of programs that had actually started out on radio that then made the move into becoming TV programs. And television started to then really skyrocket when you got into the 60s. I mean, that that's when television programs really started to to stick in a major way and stick in conjunction sometimes with what was going on with movies. I mean, the 60s, we're talking about the end of the what many people have regarded as the golden age of film was was right around the 60s and getting to be at that time. Ending about that point. Yes, yeah. ending. Did television play a role in that? Maybe partially. Um, maybe it was also some of what, what was being done differently in terms of movie storytelling. We, in many ways, according to a lot of people, are perhaps coming out of the golden age of television right now. Um, that many people in, in media have said that we are exiting out of a golden age of TV in some respects. What made it that way? In a lot of cases, it was TV becoming more cinematic. 
and being influenced in a strong way by by movies. Because television shows, Dave, for a long time have followed a certain formula. You know, you go back to the 60s, even into the 90s, then the 2000s. What do you have? You have episodic television. You have episodes that are sort of in their own little world for each one. Sitcoms are especially known for that. Each episode is kind of its own little adventure, its own little story, its own. But but even dramas would be that way too. Bottle um, episodes. Bottle episodes, exactly. Like shipping a bottle. It didn't really you don't have to see the first 12 episodes to get what's happening in episode 13. You just yeah. you just kind of join in. Yeah, the term bottle episodes has actually been used a different way yeah. uh, too with uh, with the way that episodes get made like production wise but yes uh, episodes would be very self-contained in a lot of respects and you would have story arcs that would maybe transcend different episodes but it wasn't all as pieced together narratively as it has become in really the last decade and a half or so tv shows have become almost like movies on the small screen where you stretch them out over 40, 50, 60 hours worth of content when you look at the entire run of a show. And it is as like a if super duper were, movie. It is, yeah, a super tremendous, long, long ranging movie that you have. That did one of your favorite movies just come to an end in the last month? It did. Yes, Better Call Saul, <laughs> which then you, you factor into the way that some of these TV shows are shot. You know, you have something like Game of Thrones where you have a TV show that in narrative, that in scope, in scale, in budget, in cinematography, feels, looks, and practically is a movie, but is on the small screen in the end. And a lot of other TV shows have gone that route. So movies and TV shows are just intertwined together um, considerably. And you look over the last six decades... Very much so, that they've been intertwined together and sometimes bounce off of each other then, too, or inspire one another. You know, and it's another interesting side note to that is the, I can't think of a better way to describe it than just to say the caliber of performer versus TV versus movies. And what I don't mean that one group is better than another, but for the longest time, and we're starting to see a blurring of this now, Movie actors and TV actors were not in the same group in a lot of ways. They were there were some exceptions, but not generally. And movie actors were always held in higher esteem. Why? Well, because TV generally is free, or at least always has been. Before you get into streaming and you got to subscribe now. If you bought a TV, you turn it on and there's your show. Flip to another channel, there's another show. It's free, but for a movie, you have to get out of your house, get into the car. Go drive into town. Go If you're in a big town, you have to pay to park. You're going to have to go get a snack and pay for that. Rather than the food that's already in your refrigerator that you've already got, you had to get up off your duff to see those bigger Hollywood names, quote-unquote, perform. They weren't on the TV unless they were showing up on Johnny Carson talking about their movie. That might be the only time you'd see those guys. Now we're starting to almost see a crossover in a way, in a different kind of a way, because TV right now seems to be where it is. You can tell thicker, richer, more fulfilling, more intertwined stories than you can in the two hours or whatever on the big screen that that allows you. And that's it. It's a one-stop shop, two hours. That's your story. There might be a part two or it's part of a trilogy or something, maybe, but not always. But TV seems to be where the richer you know, this let's do this. And now you're getting a lot of those big named Hollywood actors 
starting now to cross over in prominent ways permanently, not in a guest star appearance right. on TV. So this is something that is always to some degree of flux and seeing one version take over another spot from one from small screen to big screen and even from big screen moving to small screen. Well, think about it practically. Unless their character is getting killed off or written out of the show, they are looking at some pretty stable work with yeah. doing that too. Stable, consistent work, same place. There's a lot to like about that if you're doing a TV show and if you're doing a show where there's a lot of creativity to it, creative content that's taking place with it. There's there's a lot to appreciate. I mean, looking at the Emmys last night and and the categories and some of the people who were up for awards, I mean, it's tough competition and there are some really really big names who are going up against each other for some of these different awards and that's that's what we're getting more and more with the small screen effect is there's there's a lot of talented people involved there well and content and we have the need for content is also kind of a driving force and i don't just mean for streaming services look we've got a streaming service we need to fill these library shelves with content Back when you just go back to the original networks and you were going to have sitcoms or dramas or whatever on the air, hey, we've got 24 hours on every day that we need to fill it and the primetime schedule, we need to get stuff in there. It's, you know, and sometimes it was just like, hey, just make something. Doesn't really matter if it's any good or not. There's plenty of shows that are going down in the annals of the greatest shows in TV history. Not really. They just filled content. Yes, but this was part of the Thursday night lineup on NBC. And it wasn't as popular as some of the other shows. They weren't all Seinfeld. They weren't all Cheers. They weren't all Roseanne. They were what they were. Um, we have our favorites, some of us personally. Some of them are those critical darlings. MASH will go down in history as one of the all-time greatest. It's still, to this day, went off the air. 1983 is still the greatest, most-watched finale in all of shows. Say what you want about Better Call Saul or Game of Thrones or Seinfeld. They did not hold a candle to the MASH finale. And that we're as talking numbers viewership, yes, numbers that definitely. rival the Super Bowl. I mean, that's big. And at nineteen eighty three, you'd think something between then and now would have eclipsed it. No. MASH in talking about this this topic today, MASH is maybe the one that it, that was the pillar and the one that started it all when it came to television and movies being able to successfully cross over or successfully one inspiring the other it it's certainly one of them star trek i would say is the other but they went in opposite directions mash started out as a movie first and was a very successful movie with a with a very good cast but then flipping it into tv form they have a different cast that's in there same concept with it and the TV show became its own separate, tremendous phenomenon that came along. Absolutely agreed. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. Movies that got their start based on TV shows and vice versa. Movies that were so popular on the big screen, let's see if we can expand it and we'll come up with another version on the small screen. In coming up with a couple of examples here, and there's good examples, there's bad examples, and we'll kind of give a little nod a nod to the bad ones, but we'll really kind of focus on the better ones. But one of the things when I was looking at a lot of these, there's if there's one, there's a hundred Saturday morning cartoon shows based on them. There was a Beetlejuice cartoon show for a while. I'm not going to talk about those. Um, I love Back to the Future, and there was a Back to the Future animated series, which I loved. It's where Bill Nye, the science guy, got his start. As one really? of Doc Bro- Yes. <laughs> Have you, you never seen it? No, I haven't. If you're interested, I'll loan you the DVD of it. And Christopher Lloyd even showed up. 
uh, as Doc Brown, but the cartoon part, Doc Brown was voiced by Dan Castellaneta, who you better know as the voice of Homer Simpson. Right. It was, and it was a good show, but I'm not going to talk about those. Let's talk about live action, serious attempts to do a small screen, actual actor's version of a movie, and then movies that, of course, in one way, shape, or form make the jump to the big screen. So we have a couple of different categories to go into. What do you say? I can't believe we didn't think of this before. What's wrong with us? Yeah, anyway, and there's, I think, plenty that we could still talk about beyond this episode today. Mm. But, yeah, let's let's I, get into it. I guarantee you, between you and I both, we're going to have plenty of excellent examples just for the sake of time. This podcast can't go on for four hours. Right. But we could easily do it. So this is just kind of what sprung to mind. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And there was a couple of ooh, ooh, oohs I had to edit out just because we don't have that kind of time. So let's right. just kind of give a couple of, um, you know, what comes to the top of the mind. Well, if if MASH was the pillar when it came to movies turning into TV shows, I would say on the flip side, Star Trek was a pillar and, and at the center of a TV show spawning movies because in its original run and we've talked about this before on this podcast and i'm sure many people know it by now star trek in its original run only went three seasons Mm -hmm. on nbc it had decent to not great viewership and eventually kind of fell off and was canceled but the cult following that developed in the 70s when star trek went into more of a syndicated kind of run on TV. And there was also an animated series that was going on at the time, too. But the syndicated run of the original series of Star Trek was so interesting to people and developed such a cult following that it then spawned the creation of Star Trek the motion picture that followed. And even though the motion picture was relatively unsuccessful, especially when compared up against Star Wars, it produced then the need to go and make another one and that then led to a movie that actually is right now in the midst of a run on the big screen again as part of the TCM and Fathom Events big screen classics, and that's Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. One of my all-time favorite movies. Which I'm surprised, by the way, that you're maybe not going to see that in, in theaters right now. I would love to, but unfortunately, the drive, I think the nearest place is Fargo. Fargo, yeah. And, that's, and yeah. I, it's only going to be for a limited time, and it just so happens that this week... I. I Draw me a diagram as I'm to glad, how I make that work. I'm glad you were aware of it. Though, I'm very aware of it. I'd yeah. love to see it on the yeah. big screen, but I just can't find a way to make it work practically. Right. But, oh, well, good thing I have a home theater at my house. Exactly. You know, yeah, uh, Star Trek, absolutely. I, without going down the rabbit hole of how it all came around and the big success it owes to Star Wars to help launch it onto the big screen, it became its own thing after that. And the big screen adventures proved so popular. Well, can't we kind of revitalize this on the small screen? And then came Next Generation. Long story short, it went for a good, strong 30-plus years. And then it just kind of fizzled a little bit. Maybe it was too much. And uh, with the Kelvinverse movies has now brought interest back, and now the Paramount streaming network is just going gangbusters. And right now there is no less than four different Star Trek series and more coming that if they say, well, it was oversaturation that kind of killed it out around the time of the 40th anniversary – don't you think maybe that could be where we're going now and some of those are less than enthusiastic? I'm looking forward to the third season of Picard. It'll be kind of a send-off for the next generation cast. Everybody's back. But I re- like I said, I'm loving Strange New Worlds. I'm not really digging Discovery. I've seen it all and I'm just I'm not digging it. It's dark. It's just bleak. I like uh, some of the animated shows that I've seen. 
we'll see where things go. But um, you can't just make something to make something. But Star Trek is has got so much credit to it. And it started as a TV show. And when the internet was a new thing, basically the internet was fueled by uh, pro wrestling and Star Trek for a long time. <laughs> That's what people were getting together in chat rooms talking about. And that yeah. was like the earliest, earliest, earliest uh, you know, well, Star Trek's an interesting case because it has yo-yoed between the two mediums as well. It, it yeah. started on TV, then had a long stretch of movies and a successful stretch of movies for the most part. Then it yo-yoed back into television. Then there was a run of TV and movies at the same time. Then it became a little more movie centric. Now it's back to being very television centric. So it's gone back and forth over time between those two iterations of screens in a way i think star trek is like pick a favorite actor you know where are we going to see him this week well he's on the talk show circuit right now and then he's going to do a movie and then he'll be having a run of guest appearances on a tv show you're going to pop up everywhere and star trek is kind of like that too star trek is and almost always has been at its best when it's on tv because like we were talking about you can really weave some interesting topics that don't just take place in a 48 minute episode or a two-hour movie, these can really get rich. Well, that was the challenge of, I think, the earliest Star Trek movies was figuring out how do we pull away from this episodic storytelling that we used to do and make this into a larger episode that is better suited for being on the big screen. It didn't work so well with the motion picture. It worked much better with The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, that's a whole other rabbit hole that we could go down and i could talk about that at length we could fill 12 podcasts with just me talking about it so i'll just really really quickly glaze over it they didn't know what they had uh a lot of the blame fell on gene roddenberry himself because they started filming with a script that wasn't finished and refused to get finished and some people wanted it to be well here's our version of star wars no it isn't and never was star no i mean they wanted star trek to be star version of star wars yeah yeah and it isn't. Yep. It just isn't. It just isn't. And uh, But some people wanted it to be that, and then others just couldn't figure out how they wanted to make this thing work and what the story's going mean, to... It was an unfinished, unfully cooked casserole is what it was. There's things to take away from it that are positive, and some of the director versions that have come out on DVD and very recently Blu-ray and 4K are far superior to what actually made it onto the screen. And it is a successful movie. It was one of the, it was in the top 10 of movies that came out in 1979, but that was just box office. People that saw it, there's things to, to, to like about it and then other things to ooh about it. And that's why Star Trek II worked so good. You're like, well, we're going to give this one more chance. And it almost died, but Harv Bennett, who came in as the producer, Really knew what he was doing, and they got an amazing director who essentially wrote the movie uncredited, Nicholas Meyer. Huge credit to the two of those guys in particular to make it what it is. If that didn't work, this little Star Trek empire, it wouldn't exist. I mean, it might in some other form, but if it wasn't for that one shot, we're giving you one last chance. And uh, wow. And what a good chance. Star Trek 2, if you're not a Star Trek fan, it's a great spot to go into. But anyway, we could talk about Star Trek forever in a month. Other TV to movie versions that you've seen. One that I was reading about that it was a very prominent one, especially in the 90s when the movie came along, was The Fugitive. Because The Fugitive started out as, I don't know how many episodes or for how long it ran, 
Um, it during, also had a huge finale. Run. Yeah. It, for, it was the record holder for a while. I think it, maybe it was MASH that beat it, but for a long time it was. That was... The finale. Did I read 120 episodes in total in the run of The Fugitive? I think it was something like that. And there there was some marveling at the fact that The Fugitive, the movie, basically took the entire storyline of The Fugitive TV show and found a way to be able to put it together into one feature film, feature length film story to be able to to put it all together. But when you when I watched The Fugitive back, which I did several weeks ago now here this summer, I watched The Fugitive for the first time in a long long time. You can sort of see how this was turned into a, how this was done originally as a TV show because there were almost like episodic type moments within the movie where he's where Richard Kimball, played by Harrison Ford is is kind mm-hmm. of on the search and you see him do like impersonating different roles and impersonating different jobs so that he can discover more about what happened with um with the murder that he was accused for of of his wife and you can see how that they are kind of pulling from an original source material here a little bit with how this is pieced together and you can see how there was a tv show run of this and there was a very lengthy one and a very successful one Oh, yeah. And even the making of the movie, there were a couple of things. Something got shot. Uh, a lot of people might not remember, but Jane Lynch got one of her first you know, notable parts in that. Her role got cut down, and there was, at least it was scripted. I don't know if they filmed it, but it didn't make it to the final cut where Richard Kimball's character, Harrison Ford, um, and Jane Lynch were going to have a romance on the side, which I don't think would have worked. He's trying to not just clear his name, but it was his wife that was murdered. He didn't do it. You still have love for that, and you're trying to prove a murder and getting into another relationship with somebody else. Eh, probably wise that they skipped it. There was also a push to have uh, the Gerard character, uh, Timothy, uh, um, um, oh, Tommy Lee Jones, what am I saying? <laughs> Who won an Oscar for that role? Um, that he was going to be the puppet master behind the strings and he'd hired the one-armed man because something blah 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 probably wise they excised that plot. Yeah. Because it just, it no, that would have been a big disservice to the original source material. But, you know, when it comes to The Fugitive, it's a very well-loved show. And I'm a fan of the movie. I like it. But it doesn't grab me like it does other people. And I'm not saying it's not a, be- a good movie. It very much is. But it's it's... A very good movie, but not a great movie, according to me. But then again, I never watched one episode of the show. I just liked the movie. And I kind of liked the idea of the spinoff, because that got a follow-up, U.S. Marshals, um, that was also very good. I liked it. Uh, and there was going to be an idea that you were just going to follow that you know the crew, those U.S. Marshals, from just task to task to task, and they were going to do a lot of different kind of episodic movies. And the only thing similar was that group uh, chasing down another fugitive. They only did the two. Uh, it could have gone further. It could have gone more. I think what it did was fine, but it all spawned off that TV show, and it was a good example. I liked it. Yeah, really good example of it that. It was an Oscar darling, too. One that that I think has become more successful with time on the big screen coming off of a, a TV show inspiration is Mission Impossible. Absolutely. Yes. And- one, of, one of my all-time favorite TV shows is the original Mission Impossible. Did you like I, the 70s, 80s version? I've not watched that version. I've only okay. watched the 60s into 70s version, and it's one of my all-time favorite shows. My dad got me into it. He said, hey, give." Um, I think it, this was back when like one of our local TV stations that we would get like had shows in syndication, and my dad was like, 
Joel, you should give Mission Impossible a try. I think you'll really like this. And I checked it out right before. It was right around when I went to college and was in college. And I was like, I love this. This is great. Uh, And then I started watching it on, it was on some streaming service at the time. And then it was on Amazon Prime. And I started going through it. And I was like, this is really good. After the first season, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's no more, uh, there's no more Briggs. Who's this Jim Phelps guy? Well, then he ended up becoming the guy in Minnesota's own Peter Graves, um, whose character Jim Phelps just became just a central point of that show. And then you factor in that they had Martin Landau in the show for the first three seasons of it, which was just awesome. He started out as a a guest star kind of appearing in the first season for a bit, but then he became a series regular as part of it too. And then, and then you have Star Trek Leonard Nimoy. Then you have Barbara Bain. Yeah. Then you, then they had Leonard Nimoy on a little bit as well. And then of course, Greg Morris, who was a central guy in the show and Peter Lupus, same thing who became central to the show. Then they had a running, changing uh, cast of, of different Femme Fatales, who came in then a little bit later on as well, with uh, Leslie Warren, who came in there for a season, and and a couple of others, too, who who were on then as well. But really, really popular show, and extremely well done. Like, you you watch it back, that was such a smart show. Really, really smart show with how well put together it was. Um, And That's the key word right there. It's smart. Yeah. Super smart, super well put together for 60s and 70s television. Just very, that's what made it very entertaining was how smart it was. And the music, Lalo Schifrin's music is just, just fantastic. Well, then in the 90s came Tom Cruise and came the new version. There had been the, there had been the reboot as well, uh, not the reboot, um, the continuation of the series on the small screen that I think came in the late 80s very briefly. Mm-hmm. But then they made it a continuation rather than some kind of reboot or something with the 90s TV show. And what was sad about that, and this is where we get into a little bit of spoilers here. Now, I've not seen the movie. I do not plan to ever watch Mission Impossible 1 unless I happen to be in the room and somebody's watching it. But that's how disgusted I am with the fact that they ruined the Phelps character by making him a bad guy in the end. In the original Mission Impossible, right, Dave? Yeah. Uh, you know, you and I, we talked about this on air once before, but also off air, you know, and I started loaning you the movies, starting with the third one. And so you've seen, I think, all of them from the third on. And the Correct. newest one is about to come out. Uh, but one and two, they're not great. They're not bad. They're entertaining. But yeah, the scripted idea in the original opening sequence where this whole team gets wiped out was that it was supposed to be the TV series crew, and they're all getting wiped out rather than these new cast members getting wiped out. And then Tom Cruise, was he in on it? Was he not in on it? And the whole movie is about a mole hunt. And it turns out that the Jim Phelps character is, who was Peter Graves in the TV show, is the mastermind behind it. Well, that's like turning Spock into a bad guy. What's what's wrong with you? Yeah. The problem is, is what we talked about, Mission Impossible, it was so smart. It's not about who's got the most bullets and who can make the biggest explosion, who can run the fastest. It's about outsmarting the other guy. And in, in fact, in a lot of the episodes, it almost goes down so that the bad guys had no idea that the Mission Impossible crew was even there because they were like ghosts. They moved in, they were silent, and you would talk to them and not know it was really that guy. And then it's over and the good guys win. The movie, 
operated on a way that was betraying what the original show was, especially the cast. But it was such a twisty, turny thing to the point where even when you really take a minute and stop and think, there's no way. I mean, there's no way that half those scenes would take place while they're trying to flush out a mole. It's two guys in a room alone that are in on it. Why would they have that conversation? It is only to throw the audience, and it doesn't hold true to what would happen in a real-life situation at all, whether it's a movie or not a movie. It was half-baked at yeah, best. Yeah, and quite a few of the original cast members from the TV show oh, yeah. said that they were really, really disappointed with what they did with the movie. Landau in particular, yeah. Yeah, yeah Martin Landau, Greg Morris, I know. I think he walked out on it as well. He had been to watch it at a screening. I think he walked yeah. out of it. Like he just was so disappointed with it and Peter Graves didn't like it either. But a credit to those movies. Like they they forged ahead. I'm not really I, I guess they did pretty well at the box office there in the late 90s. They forged ahead. Tom Cruise wanted to continue with them and they have found a great different lane that they have landed in where they do these amazing stunt pieces where that they've they've really made it into this incredibly good spy thriller that, oh, yes. that they've gone with but but especially one where they have exceptionally good set pieces and and clever things that they do from an action standpoint like that's where the impossible has sort of started to go with with the series and to the point where it's still going today we've got another movie that's on the way in the near future that there's a teaser trailer out for several weeks ago and I'm looking forward to the, yeah. to the next movie. Like those, the movies have done a nice job of finding a different lane. They just got off to a bad start at the beginning because it undermined what was an exceptional television show. J.J. Abrams got involved as a producer for the third one. In fact, the third one is his directorial debut, and he's got a lot of credit to helping this thing get on the right track. He has only directed that third one, but he's been involved in them all. Even guys like Brad Bird, who are best known as working as creators from Pixar, got involved, and it was his first live-action film. I think it was Ghost Protocol, the one he did. And they have all been spectacular. And debatably, there's the debate, is the sequel better than the original? The third one on, it's almost like each one is getting better than the one before. They are awesome. Really quick, any other TV shows to movies that are coming to mind? Because we still have to flip this around. Oh, yes. Adam's Family. You got to go with the Adam's Family. <laughs> Great TV show, but it's quirky, and it's that's what it's supposed to be. But in And it's been a couple of different versions of it. But in particular, the early 90s version with Raul Julia and uh, uh, Angelica Houston, Christopher Lloyd, big fan of his, Christina Ricci. Uh, and they did Adam's Family Values pretty much right on the heels of the first one. And those two are awesome. They go so well together. They are smart. They are funny. They are whip smart. They are absolutely true to the source material. And now there is another version with Tim Burton involved, Wednesday, they're calling the show. And there's a big controversy about uh, uh, Gomez, the character of Gomez. If you've seen the original drawing, because they've started out not as a TV show, but it's the very earliest. They were uh, small cartoons in the New Yorker magazine drawn by Charles Adams, hence the name The Adams Family. And Gomez just looks, you know, kind of, you know, nangly teeth and just kind of, eh. Raul Julia was a good looking guy, did not look at all like the cartoon version. This is the original version of, of Gomez Adams. Well, now they've hired, uh, um, Oh, what's his name? I, I'm having a problem with my vocabulary skills today. I can see the guy's name, uh, uh, Luis Guzman. You'd know him if you saw him. He's a great character actor. He's all over the place. 
Well, he's got fake teeth that look all nangled, just like the cartoon show, and people are getting him. He doesn't look at all like Raul Julia. Raul Julia didn't look like the original version. This guy actually looks like the original version, <laughs> and he's a great, skilled comedic and does good drama. He will nail this role. Cool. Give him a break. He's going to do awesome. But that's another great example, and that's one of those kind of yeah. like Batman. It's going to live on in a lot of different versions for a long, long time, and hopefully they keep it well and they keep it sharp. But uh, Adam's family absolutely has to be on that list. Um, and I mentioned real quick superheroes. You know, superheroes go back to comic books, but they all started on the small screen. There was the 60s Batman with Adam West. There's been a couple of different TV versions of Superman. And then they make the jump to the big screen to some degrees of success. Obviously, Christopher Reeves' era of Superman movies kind of hit and miss. The first two, really good. The last two, eh. And then it's moved on from there on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, Batman, uh, depending on the movie, good or not so good. Who's your favorite Batman? Who, when you think of an actor that plays Batman, who is your Batman? You know, whether it's Christian Bale or Michael Keaton, who's now coming back around to be Batman again, could be interesting. And, and Wonder Woman is there, too, with Linda Carter back in the time. And now you've got uh, you've got the whole DC Mega Justice League universe. It's with part Gal of that, Gadot. With yeah. Gal Gadot, who's done a great job. The first one, in, she's done a great job in all of them, but the first movie was by far the best. Yeah, with those, it's really interesting because... The TV shows and movies of, of these superheroes, you, you really do have to separate them into different categories because Absolutely. in a lot of these cases, it was, it was just very much an entertainment sort of thing. Like, look at Batman. Adam West Batman is far different from Christian Bale's Batman or even Michael Keaton's Batman. Way different kind of telling of the story, especially given that that was like 60s television there at that point. But you can you can really differentiate those two in a big way. It's not like, for instance, um, I, I think of like the the 1960s Man from Uncle and the way that before you had the the movie that came out in the 2010s during uh, just a few years ago, you had in the 60s the Man from Uncle was on the small screen, and yet they took that story and they made it into these feature length films as well, which I think they've been they yeah they have been on TCM a couple of times where I recorded them and I went back to watch one of them with Robert Vaughn and every everything in there, and I was like, this is like a TV show. It was like a, a longer TV show episode with what they did with some of those Man from Uncle quote unquote movies that they did, <laughs> but they did these these really just basically extensions off of the TV show, and there was a little bit of that. Wasn't there Batman the movie that was in the nineteen sixties oh, yeah. or like it was the early seventies? You know, Adam like, West, yeah, it was nineteen sixty seven, maybe. It's same cast. It's basically the yeah. TV show, but lengthened out. Yeah, same kind of thing. It's not like when the Man from Uncle did its movie reboot back in in the twenty tens. Very, very underrated movie, by the way. I would have loved if there had been a sequel. I don't know if that's happening now or can't happen now. But anyway, um, it, like it's well, that was not like forty years after the original show, right? It's not quite like that. It, there were instances, a lot of instances, especially in the sixties and seventies, where some of these TV shows did. It was like, all right, when are we going to do our movie? When are we going to do like our our own movie style of this? Kind of like with The Simpsons. You know, The Simpsons, of course, had been on TV for decades before they finally went. 
All right, I think it's time for the Simpsons movie. It's time that we do this. And they nailed it. The show's kind of suffered, but the movie, it did not. They definitely put a lot of apples in the right baskets for that. So that's definite. You know, just because we have a time issue here, and we got to keep rolling forward, just a couple of... Just a couple of quick shout-outs of good examples. Maverick was another good one. Not Top Gun Maverick, but the movie Maverick. The TV show, James Garner was a card-playing Western kind of guy. And then about 30 years later, they did Richard Donner directed it. Mel Gibson took over the role. But they had James Garner come back and play uh, a retired lawman that's in there. Jodie Foster was in there. That is a good movie. And a lot of people went and saw the movie and, well, this was a show? Oh, I, I guess I didn't know. It didn't matter. Everybody liked that movie. It's a great movie. If you've not seen it, Maverick came out 95, I think it was. Great movie. Um, the Untouchables, that's a huge one. I mean, this made Robert Stack. Everyone kind of remembers him now as the from Airplane or from uh, Unsolved yeah. Mysteries. But he was Elliot Ness in The Untouchables. And then Kevin Costner and uh, Robert De Niro and Sean Connery won an Oscar for that role. They did the movie in 87, 86, somewhere in there great movie it is absolutely you'd never know that it was a movie made in the late 80s it looks like something that would have been made back in the way just the way they made it almost a sepia tone to it but not you know Mm. it is such a good movie and another real quick current example 21 jump street yes where johnny depp really made a name for himself on tv on fox back in the late 80s and early 90s and then it kind of came out of nowhere to become what it was. And then out of nowhere again, we're going to make a movie out of 21 Jump Street. And a lot of people were 21 what? And we're going to get Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill for it. And it yeah. worked. I mean, you could just see the flames already starting on the wings of this airplane. You're like, well, this isn't going to go well. And it was awesome. And not only that, even though it's very different from the original show, you had Johnny Depp and Greco show up. In the movie, in a cameo, they said, we'll only do the cameo if you kill us. Okay, we'll do it. And so it was a hoot. It, while the original was a, was a straight drama piece, you know, with sexy cast and, oh, don't you want to see them on a poster on someone? This was a straight-up comedy. So, But at the same time, while it was a very divergence from the source material, it was awesome. It just kind of put a different emphasis on it, but it worked. It kept some degree of faith to the original material while going in a completely different direction, but not unfaithfully so yeah it's kind of nice when you've got something like that where it's maybe a little bit more of a niche show that had existed previously where you can go a different direction with the new version of it to the point where you're not going to really disappoint anybody yeah by by doing that that's a pretty nice place to be i even thought the sequel 22 jump street was pretty decent but it was um great examples but real quick before we switch gears you got to give a couple shout outs, unfortunately, to the ones that, you know, were good movies or, or, or something, good TV shows that didn't really work out so well on the big screen. The Flintstones comes to mind. <laughs> and I mean the live action John Goodman, Rick Moranis movie. Oh, man. Not a good movie. Wild, Wild West. What a. <laughs> if you want to dive around on the internet, Kevin Smith from Clerks fame got involved in a Superman movie that actually kind of had a part feed into Wild Wild West. It was a quirky show and an even more bizarre movie. It's a total misfire by Kevin Klein and Will Smith, and uh, it, it is what it is. Dukes of Hazard. talk about not yeah, being boy. faithful to the source material. Um, Sex and the City movies, you, the TV show is its own thing, whether you like the, the new version that's streaming on HBO Max uh, and just like that version, but the movies, 
and you've seen the divergence in the cast, and it just it the magic was gone. I think it was hard for them to keep everybody together, wasn't it? That's part of it, but yeah. the, apparently there were some big personality issues, namely between Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall. They weren't really enjoying right. each other, right? And it got to a point where, well, we can do it one more time for a movie, and then finally they said, uh, "No, we can't." And now there's no more Kim Cattrall. So say what you want. I, I think that ship has sailed. It's time for it to go. Um, it's had its part. I'm not knocking it. It's a great, great show. But at some point, it gets something's missing. Something's off. Just, you don't just keep going. You're going to retool it and fix it. No, we'll just keep going. No, no, no. This, something's not right here. You don't run with a broken leg. Sit over, fix it, and then go. Yeah. Anyway, so then you get to go the other route. And for a long time, this was a whole, this just didn't happen. You didn't generally get movies. Movies were like the end goal. Let's make a movie. Now it was like, here's a great movie. Let's make a TV show. Well, as there have been more avenues for TV shows to be out there, and especially now with streaming, yes, it's become way more common. Way now. But yeah. for a long time, not so much. And since we finished the last one with bad examples, let's start real quick with some bad examples of good <laughs> movies that didn't really work out so well on the on the small screen. Ferris Bueller had a couple of different versions. There was actually a Ferris Bueller show that did not last more than 15 minutes. It's a great movie, horrible show. And there was even another slightly better version that was clearly Ferris Bueller-esque. But it was canceled Park. midway through the first season. Yeah, it was not there's a reason. Yeah. This is these another bad examples. There was another show on Fox called Parker Lewis Can't Lose that was very much like Ferris Bueller. Um, in fact, Parker Lewis, Ferris Bueller, they kind of sound a lot alike. It was better, but it wasn't great. Um, then there's other versions like baby talk was a show that was clearly based off of look who's talking where you get the baby voiced over by Bruce Willis. In this case, all they could afford Scott Bale in the nineties. No. Well, that's part of the challenge is it's so hard to be able to keep original cast members from the movie to the TV show. Very, very challenging to be able to do that. One example where they kind of did, but they also kind of didn't in a really important role was Clueless. Yeah. Clueless was a, was a movie, of course, very popular one in the 90s, but then was a TV show for three seasons. Mm-hmm. But but it's a little bit hard when you have to replace Cher Horowitz and you don't have Alicia Silverstone in that role. But they did have Stacey Dash and they had Donald Faison yeah. in there for for the show, which I did not realize. I was like, really? They were able to get those two back. So they at least got some of it, but you lose some of the magic with Alicia Silverstone not being in there. Actually, you don't lose some of it. You lose a lot of it. For a while, she was the it girl. And it girl is, or it guy is a real short-lived badge of honor. You don't get to be that for more than about 20 minutes. And she got it when that movie came out. That's what made her the it girl. And that's not saying nothing. That's a big, big thing. And so you can't just replace the it girl. Good luck with that. And that's a big part of the charm. Uh, Amy Heckerling, behind the scenes, she's done a lot of movies, and she directed that one. She had also done another big one from the 80s, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She did one of the vacation movies. She's been around. She's done a lot of it. In fact, I think she directed Look Who's Talking. So that's a lot of talent that just didn't make that leap. Yeah, You got a lot of ingredients that made the cake bake correctly on the big screen, and a lot of, you take away eggs and wheat. Good luck with that cake on TV when some of the biggest ingredients aren't there. So, all right, better examples, though, of things that were on the big screen that inspired something on the small screen. Just because the fifth season is coming out, Cobra Kai spun off of the the Karate Kid. This is, let me put it to you like this. 
There's a music video that if you aren't familiar with it, you got to find it. I think this is where this started from. It's kind of a one-hit wonder by a group called No More Kings, and the song is called Sweep the Leg, and it's about the Karate Kid. And so they did a music video. The music video was directed by a guy named William Zabka, who, as you may know, was Johnny Lawrence and the original Karate Kid. So basically the movie, the story is about, man, I was so on top of the world in 1985, and then this one guy, Crane, kicked me in the face, and my whole life has been nothing since then. They got him, and everybody is back. Even uh, even uh, Ralph Macchio shows up briefly. It's a great one, and I have a suspicion that from that, the Genesis was formed into what would become Cobra Kai. Did they do it just to do it, or did they have something to say? They've got something to say. Yeah, it's a, a lot great of people, show. A lot of people have really enjoyed it on yes. a lot of levels. Yeah, and even the third Karate Kid movie, which is probably other than the next Karate Kid movie where Hillary Swank kind of got a start, which that could work its way in. Maybe we, I don't know, but there's I've seen all of the four seasons thus far. I have not seen the fifth season because it's just about out or just yet to come out. I haven't seen it yet. This is a great show. And even Mr. Miyagi, who passed away, the actor Pat Morita a few years back, uh, even he factors into this a little bit. This is a great show. Well, well done. And a really good current example yes. of this topic. Yes, yeah. it's still going on. It is still steeped in 80s, but it has got very much a twenty, you know, 2020s vibe into it. Started as a YouTube TV show, and now you can see it on Netflix. Yep. It is a great show. If you've seen The Karate Kid and you've not seen Cobra Kai, Check it out. It's a good show. And pretty much everybody is back. And if they're not back yet, they will be. Even Elizabeth Shue, the girlfriend from the first one, she shows up in, I think it was the third or fourth (laughs) season, whatever it was. It's a great show. And they're not just putting people in it. Eh, let's get so-and-so. Even Ralph Macchio's mom in the movie shows up a couple of times. It's the same everybody. It's a great show. Check it out. Cobra Kai. Um, Then let's go dark. Who would have thought something like The Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal Lecter? I mean, that's some dark stuff. You can only watch so much of that before you're like, yeah. And then you're going to move it on to the small screen. You're like, okay, but it'll be on like HBO, right? Or something where it can be great. No, No. NBC? Yep. Wow. And it was for what like an NBC show would be. That was graphic stuff. Oh, my brothers watched that when I was off at college. I think they watched that while they were in high school. It's... um. That is quite a show, yeah. but it was much beloved. It it oh, came yeah. to it came to a very quick premature end. The show did, but it was so beloved because of its production value and how well put together it was. I mean, yeah, on network television, you're putting Hannibal on there. Well, and My think word. about that. But this, but it worked. This it is worked. the role that made. Sir Anthony Hopkins. I mean, he's been around for a long time before Hannibal Lecter, but this was the the big thing for him. So to have somebody like Mads Mikkelsen come in and do his version of the character, he is not playing homage to Anthony Hopkins anything. This is a different version of the character, but he nails it, and he really, really does. And even the Will Graham character is well, well done, and there's still talk it could get revived. A lot of shows are getting revived these days. It could happen. What it really seems to come down to is can everybody that was involved the first go-round get their schedules cleared out enough to do it again? It could very well happen because everyone's like, I'd love to do it. There's a platform out there that would would be able to take it on, I would imagine. Even if it was a limited 
series if they only did like 10 episodes to properly end it i could see that happening they just they had to rush the ending of that so much from all uh, from all that i know i didn't watch the whole series but from all that i know they really had to rush the ending of that to try to be able to tie the story up as much as possible imagine it a little bit more fleshed out there yeah and there's there's rights issues you can't have the clary starling character involved they tried to do a version of that on cbs to some degree of success or not so much right but you can't it's going to bring you right up to lord of the or no lord of the rings silence of the lambs (laughs) but they can't get too far into that territory so there will not be any clary starling showing up in that show because of rights issues yeah um but that's a great one and i tried to watch it honestly just in real life i was going through some stuff about that time that it was a little too dark for me i was like no maybe someday i'll get back to it yeah. i love the movies and i can do them but i had enough dark going on in real life that i needed to watch a show to escape not get deeper into it so i mean i had to eject but I will, I will get back around to it, and I can handle stuff like that generally, just not that week, yeah. that month. It was yeah. one of those things. Um, I had a couple. Do you have a few that you want to do? I've got more, but I want to give you a chance. Well, a prominent one that I saw, it, it feels like there are fewer examples that are out there, like really good examples of movie to TV show, but one that I saw that I've never watched any of this, but I know a lot of people have been really into it, and it had such a great following, too, when the show was around, was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> which had a movie That's in the early list. 90s. And then the TV show just became super popular among people. Like, it again, never watched it, never got into it. I've seen Sarah Michelle Gellar in other stuff, not Buffy. I would see commercials for Buffy, like, all the time, though, if, if you were on, what, WB when it existed. Like... Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, really big example where the TV show definitely surpassed the movie when it came along. It it became its own thing in a major way. Yeah, the movie, Christy Swanson was Buffy in that one. She was a big 80s heartthrob gal. Even Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubin, shows up as a vampire <laughs> in that movie. But nobody knew what to take. Does he do the voice? No, no, he's a completely different character. <laughs> he's a totally different character, but he's a vampire in the movie. Uh, and this came after his, you know, movie theater issue. But um, this was, nobody knew how to take it. What is, what, this is what? Buffy, Buffy, the vampire slayer. What? Nobody knew how to take it. And then the movie went, a, or the show rather, went a whole different thing. This is where Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller got involved. Uh, Joss Whedon got involved. This was a whole different beast. This was like teen angst drama with supernatural vampiristic stuff attached to it. So it was a whole different vibe. And it took itself very seriously. There was a lot movie, of that going on in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. In the yeah. early 2000s. It was, it was tailor-made for what, this was the kind of thing that made the WB network. And said, so, well, this is working. Let's do something slightly less supernatural. Let's do Dawson's Creek and so on and so forth. But that kind of started it in a lot of way. And it had its own spin-off show too. But the movie and the show, they're connective tissue, but they are so vastly different things. You know, Luke Perry was on the movie version as the heartthrob guy. It's a very different thing, but it's worth checking out. The movie, my wife was actually, before I, when I was telling her what was on my list, she's like, I like the movie way more than the show. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So it's it's not like the movie, the movie did bomb, but it wasn't that it wasn't good. It's just, how do you market this? I don't know what, she's a cheerleader, but she kills vampires at night. How does she make it to the games? You know, it's just, they didn't know what they had. It was a really quirky thing. But And if you watch it, it works, clearly, because they made it into a great TV show. So it's a great example. you got to give a shout-out nowadays to anything Star Wars 
for a long. I mean, even going back into the eighties, you, you might, might as well not, say anything Marvel too. That, and put it can, in the same category. But that's kind of different. That was all part of the plan. We're going to do this giant, giant canvas, mostly on the big screen. But we'll do Agents of Shield, and we'll do Peggy Carter, and we'll do that on the small screen, and it'll loosely tie into the movies, but not really. And they're leaning into it even more now. They are a little now, yeah, with the with the streaming services. So that's a different story. But with Star Wars. It was big screen and big screen only until you had uh, you can you could pull in the holiday TV Christmas special that <laughs> happened just before Empire Strikes Back. But after Empire after Return of the Jedi, there was actually a TV movie uh, the, like the Ewoks show, and there was a droids cartoon. And, yes, and you can't which ignore, are on Disney Plus now. That's true. You can't ignore those. But now it's gone a whole different thing. The Mandalorian, uh, the Boba Fett show, the Obi Wan Kenobi show. And with mixed results, honestly. Some of those yes. cartoon shows, the Clone Wars clearly caught on in a major way. In two different forms with yes. the Clone Wars. There was a really short micro-episode series. It was on Cartoon Network, and then they kind of expanded that. Those were great shows. Star Wars Rebels, another great show. Uh, the Bad Batch is a new one. Good show. Mandalorian, the third season is coming up. I really like that show. But then a couple others that were kind of, you know, I didn't, I'm not loving the Boba Fett show. It's not, it's not bad. It's just, it's not what it should have been. I think what The Mandalorian became should have been the Boba Fett show. But I think for one reason or another, they came up with a whole new character that should have been Boba Fett. The best episodes of Boba Fett basically were short episodes of The Mandalorian, as unfortunate as it is. And I'll give credit to everyone that's involved in the show on screen. I think it's just everyone expected the character to zig, and instead he zagged, and he zagged too far from what he's, I, I don't know, that's my take. I think it's a well-done show, but something's wrong. They need to adjust the batter or something. But to mixed results, I thought the Obi-Wan show was decent enough. It wasn't amazing, but it was good. I liked it. And where we're going beyond that, the Andor show is about to come out here. Yes. And that that's looking good, but I haven't seen Which it. Which is based off of a movie, and yep. the idea of it came from Rogue One, where Cassian Andor's character shows up in there, so... Now this show is directly spawning off of that. But the only complaint I'm going to say now is when you do a prequel of something, you know that no matter what sticky situation Andor is going to get into, he's going to make it. You are boxed in narratively. You're boxed in narratively with that character because you know he and Jay and Urso buy it on the beach when the Death Star strikes the planet, and that's how they die. Spoiler. Um, But so you know in the show, which takes place prior to the movie Rogue One, he will make it through. Any other character that we have never met, well, that's another story, and that could be interesting. You know MacGyver's not going to die in this sticky situation because he's MacGyver, but it's movies or shows are a little different these days. You know Saul but Guerrero's going to make it through. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw Forrest Whitaker popped up. That'll be cool. Yep. So he'll, yeah. he'll make it through, too, and that'll be fine. Yeah. It looks like a good show. I look forward to seeing it. Looking forward to the third season of The Mandalorian. So Star Wars has certainly gone super big on the smallish screen. We got time for one or two more really quick here, Dave. Any others? Um, yes. Psycho turning into the Bates Motel. I finally yes, that's right. I watched the Bates Motel, the whole series, uh, maybe a year ago, uh, and I like those movies. I think I, they're all the movies are decently good. Not any one of them seriously falls off the cliff. They certainly bobble the ball a lot from Psycho Three onward, but the first one is legendary. The sequel, Psycho Two, is also really, really good. It's it's way underrated. After that, it starts to go downhill a little bit. Then came the Gus Van Sant version. That's the, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> You know, I understand what he was trying to do, but fail, move on. 
But the Bates Motel show, it's it's kind of a loose telling of what leads up to it. And the last season of the show is almost, a, not exactly, but it's almost a retelling of the original movie, sort of. But not really. It really takes a different direction. But it's good. It's really, really good. But with the subject matter, if you're familiar with what the show is and what the movie is and the general story is, it's dark. It's disturbing. And so watching a series Very. of that, so if you get like a 20-season episode or whatever, a 10-episode season, 10 season, that's a 10-hour movie of some dark, disturbing stuff. Oh, yeah. So, and I think- I heard sure- a lot about that with the Bates Motel. I've never watched Bates Motel, but I heard about that during its run. A lot of people like revering it in terms of how good of a show it was, but and at the same was. time, oh boy. And it made some great Dark. stars. Vera Farmaga, of course, has done pretty well on yeah. a lot of other movies up in the air with George Clooney and then getting into the Conjuring movies. Freddie Highmore. She was in The Departed, too. In The Departed, yeah. Uh, Freddie Highmore's done some good things with this. It really did some good things for a lot of people in it. It was a great show, well done, highly recommended, but it's dark, killing your mom and then pretending she's not dead. Material. Oh, it's dark. It's it's gonna get. It's gonna drag you down. It's not a feel good show. You know, you're gonna want to watch the Muppets as soon as you're done with it, just to pick your attitude up a little bit. But it's it's a great show. I highly recommend it. But it is what it is, and it's another great example of there's no way they're gonna do this, and they did, and it was done exceptionally well. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, Got to give a shout out to Fargo. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Quirky movie. I was actually uh, in the background of the movie, funny enough. And then the first season of the movie, or the show rather, I should mention, is set in a town called Bemidji. And guess where we're doing this podcast from? In, in Bemidji. Bemidji. But the movie, the show was not filmed in Bemidji. I think they took a couple of establishing shots from a helicopter or something. But the movie, the show was filmed in Calgary. So it's not Bemidji, but and I've not seen the first season. I've heard great things. I have to give it a shout out just because it's Fargo. It's very Minnesotan and the Minnesota accent, you know. Yeah, and they had a different cast each season, too, yep. that they did with the show. They did some really unique things with it. The Coen brothers were involved with putting it together as well, and they, it found its own niche to be able to run with based off of the ideas, though, of what had been done with the the movie itself and yeah. just finding a way to do something a little bit different. Kind of a quirkier version of True Detective, I think, would be a good way to describe oh, it. Way quirkier. Yeah, yeah, way different kind of tone, uh, even though, yeah, they're both still kind of grim and stuff, but much different tone than True Detective. Yeah, you know, It's well, funny, the movie, for Minnesotans, when Fargo, the movie, came out, it was kind of a love-hate relationship because the movie made everyone from Minnesota look like an idiot. You know, everyone's got the Fargo accent. I mean, I'm not saying that the accent doesn't exist, but it's it's not everywhere. There are some people that really do. Not everybody talks like no. Marge Gunderson, though. No, yeah. that's true. But the, a few of us do. And so the, the movie was what it was. It's a Coen Brother classic now. It was up for Best Picture back in 97 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the, the show is very much in that same vein. So we're kind of giving you that tour as we wrap things up here about there's been some hits and there's been some misses and there's not some movies that are so sacred that you can't do a TV version of it so long as that there's love and you're not just doing it to do it. Ferris Bueller was a popular movie. Yeah, let's make a show of it. You can't do it like that. You really, oh, you know what would be good? What if we took this movie, but what if, if you're showing love and you're showing reverence to the source material, it can work. A lot of it, though, is kind of you take your best shot and you hope for the best. But there's great examples where that works. And then there's the Hall of Shame where what were you thinking? And it's not always as if you have to 
to really base it closely off of the source material or be very. I think you do have to. You you do. You do depending on the series. I think I if if you are directly connecting to whatever your source material is, whether it's movie or TV show, then yeah, you have to show a good faithfulness to it. If you are going a completely different direction, doing something new that's under the same name, but is inspired by it, I enjoy sometimes seeing the creativity that comes and gets created. I mean, we gave some examples on both sides of times where... Jump Street would be one of those. Right, but you have to make sure you have a, a, a good plan, and B, that you are going to go a completely different direction while still maybe having some of the threads of of formula and idea that came with it, if you're going to go a different direction, make it notable, make it interesting, make, True. It, make it its own avenue that's not going to undermine what has been done before. True, but here I'll give you an example where, where you and I are not agreeing on this. Like The Equalizer, the show, and then it became the movie with Denzel Washington. It's a good movie, and the sequel was decent too, but it really doesn't resemble the show at all. So the show was about a think of it like this: James Bond retires and then goes to public hire. Hey, if you've got a problem, hire me. That's basically what the Equalizer is in a nutshell. Yeah. Now it's this retired spy who works at Home Depot, and things go wrong around him, so he steps in to intervene. It's not the same thing. You can't give me a show that is set in space, but it's much more like Battlestar Galactica, but you call it Star Trek. It's not the same thing. It's, you can't you can't give me Cheerios but put Captain Crunch on the box. Well, it's crunchy cereal, yeah, but they're not the same thing. If you're going to make an adaption of something that has come before, whether it's a book or a comic or whatever, you need to be reverent and hold that source material. Otherwise, you're making a whole other thing. Now, you might go so far as, look, I've got an idea. I want it to be based on E.T., but not the same thing as E.T., for example. I want it to be about a friendly alien, but I want it to go in a different direction. Maybe at that point, on the opening credits, inspired by E.T., the extraterrestrial, created by Melissa Matheson and Steven Spielberg. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But it's going in a different direction. You can't call it E.T., the show, much like Friday the 13th, the show, had nothing to do with any of the movies. It was about cursed antiques in a store. No killer running on the um, running amok at a camp. They were so far apart, that was an injustice. It was the name that you used to sell the property. Then it's a marketing thing, and you're talking a whole different ball of wax. I'm against that. With all of these... It's a question of what's the idea behind the idea. It's a good idea, but don't market it as the Hoove show when Hoove is not on his own show. You know, right. that that's that's a disservice. Yeah. You're selling the name, not the actual delivery. I wouldn't want to listen to High Noon with Joel Hoover if Hoove was never on his own show. Yeah. You're selling the name, not the show. I want to hear Hoove on Hoove's show because call it the Hoove show because Hoove's on the show. That's the thing. So you got to be faithful to what has come before. Even if you take it in a different direction, it can be done, but you better know what you're doing or you're just going to be another another one in the bargain bin of failed attempts that you should have known better. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2 just down from the airport. Talking about big screen, small screen, colliding together today. Like feeding chocolate off and of peanut butter. Other. I think there's a good chance we may go back into talking about the influence of television on movies in the Absolutely. future. Probably in some kind of different form or different episode, but this this has been long overdue, getting into a real deep dive on on how those two have fit together for 
movies that become TV shows and vice versa. I think there's, you know, even though Spielberg and others have said if it doesn't get onto the big screen, it's not truly a movie, there's, I think there's a legit argument for that, but I also think there's a legit argument to go against that. I think it's a blurring of the lines. I think we certainly could go into some of the, not just movies, but shows. The new Glass Onion, Knives Out, apparently is a Netflix movie. I'm sure it's going to get onto the big screen to some degree, but if it's a Netflix movie, that's going to be the place to really see it. Can you not talk about the the follow-up to Knives Out? And I'm sure there will be others uh, to come. Absolutely, I think we need to. So that might be a deep dive that's TV movies kind of blurring together. Yeah, yeah. A whole new thing. Anyway. A lot of ways we can go with this because TV and movies, they feed off each other a lot, as we were reminded today. So thanks for joining us today for the episode. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.